You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Heavenly Father, thank you for providing space for us tonight to come and to worship you and to, to kneel at you and to acknowledge how holy you are. Lord, we are not worthy. We are not worthy. But thank you for allowing us to be in your presence, for, for coming to us, for your Holy Spirit that, that is in us and within us and around us and everything that is good. Lord, I pray that tonight you would, um, you would open our hearts and that we would hear what you're trying to say to us, that we wouldn't be distracted because the world is loud, Lord. So I pray, God, that you would quiet the space and quiet our hearts and help our minds to focus on you and what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, that was great, guys. I uh, almost forgot. I was like standing over there worshiping, and I was like, man, someone should get up there. And I remembered it was me. So uh, that was great, guys. Thank you so much. I hope it's okay. I'm down here. Um, I guess there's enough of you could overpower me and take me back up there. But I'm going to come down here just because it's a big room and kind of want to be close to you. But um, just out of curiosity, has anyone ever heard of a guy named Larry Walters? He's from California. Ever hear of Larry? Larry had this dream, and his dream was somewhat normal, but he went about it in a very unusual way. Ever since he was a little tiny kid, he had wanted to be a pilot. Anybody want to be a pilot when they grew up? I, just me? Okay, I wanted to be a pilot. Anyway, he wanted to be an Air Force pilot, but unfortunately, he didn't have the eyesight. He wasn't allowed in. So years went by, you know, high school didn't make it, college didn't make it, couldn't do any of it, and he got to this point, kind of middle of his life, where he decided, I still want to be a pilot, but I, no one will give me, I can't afford a regular private pilot's license. So he came up with, I don't know if it was plan B, C, D, E, or whatever it was, he came up with this plan. He went out to the Army-Navy surplus store, and he got like, I don't know, 80 or something like that, these huge weather balloons fills them with helium, ties them to his lawn chair, ties the lawn chair to his pickup truck. And he's like, you know what? His plan was that he was just going to kind of saunter up a little bit above his neighborhood just so he could say that he flew and he got a different perspective on his neighborhood and on life. And so, you know, he had his peanut butter and jelly. He had his radio so he got some music. He had a six-pack a root beer and uh, that he took with him in Jesus' name, and so, and his BB gun. The BB gun, as I mentioned, he planned to saunter, but he thought, you know, just in case this gets out of control, he's got to control his altitude, obviously, somehow, thus the BB gun. So he got in the chair, ready to go, and a couple of his buddies came by, I'm sure, to encourage slash record this so it went viral or anything. And so they untied the rope. And what he thought was going to casually take him up in the air, instead his friends describe as, I quote, he was shot out of a cannon. Larry doesn't just go like 6 feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, 30 feet. Larry is taken off. And it's going from like feet to yards to miles. And he is like, he is gone, right? So, uh, Finally, about two and a half hours later, over LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, 
and I quote, an unidentified flying object has been seen at 16,547 feet. Larry, as he became to be known, check out this picture, Lawn Chair Larry. He was now miles and miles away from his home, and finally, a pilot of a 737 again spotted Larry, and he said, I've spotted what seems to be like a man sitting in a chair. <laughs> they called the SWAT team. I don't know how the SWAT team was able to help, but somehow, I don't know what kind of arm you have to have to lasso Larry, but they figure it out. Maybe they shot him down with a BB gun or other, I don't know. They get Larry down somehow. Larry had to be revived because, you know, altitude and he's tired and all that stuff. And they finally get him back on the ground. And the first thing he's greeted with is a $4,000 ticket for obstructing airport traffic. <laughs> like insult to injury. But he flew, right? He did fly. So journalists, reporters are all like, we got to check this out. You know, we're super bored. And so uh, they interview Larry. Larry, were you scared? Yes. Larry, would you do it again? No. <laughs> Larry, what were you thinking? <laughs> kind of just put his hands in his pocket like this and said, you know, I just got tired of sitting around. You know, as we talk about holiness, being set apart, distinguished life, whatever vernacular you want to use, there's something inside of us that God's, people write about it, God's designed it for, but there's something that gets rustless. And you have to think there's more. On Monday morning, we, we talked about that. There's more than just, you know, a treadmill of life. There's just going faster and doing all the things and keeping, you know, comparing my life with everyone else's and, and all that stuff. But it's about, it's about our heart being filled with God's presence. His Holy Spirit, His holy love, it, it changes everything. And we, but we got to give up control first. And so, so many of you guys did that. And then Jeannie brought the thunder last night. I was like, I had to go home and like repray my salvation, I think. She was so good. I was taking notes like crazy. It was awesome. It's so fun to get to tag team preach with Jeannie, a friend, and uh, talk about walking in the Spirit. And she was guiding us through. What does that rhythm look like? And how can we be sensitive not to go and be intentional about no, not going back and picking up those things that we've laid down? And there's a really powerful time of just praying together. But I want to dive into kind of a, another step of that, of what does it look like to have our identity, this holy life? What does our identity look like? What does it just mean? So we don't just try to do all this stuff. So yeah, well, we're doing more for Jesus, but am I actually living any life with him and in him. Does that make sense? Not even believable. All you're thinking about is Lawn Chair Larry. I get it, okay? I don't blame you. So we're going to uh, cover an entire book of the Bible. So forgive me, Bible scholars and New Testament professors and people like that, but we're going to quickly summarize the book of Ephesians, mostly camping out in Ephesians chapter 4. And so you can go your Bible or Bible app there if you've got it. And I want to use this book because one of the temptations is when people have talked about uh, living a holy life or holiness. There's some history where it's like, I got to do all this stuff instead of first my being and then my doing. And so 
Holiness, and we'll talk about this more Wednesday night, Jeannie and I are talking about some of the, the myths of, of holiness, of living a holy life. Um, but one of them was like, it's all this stuff you can't do versus understanding who I am in Jesus and then moving forward. And so Paul picks up this, this thread, actually in a, not a thread, a pretty major way. He writes to this new church, this new group that have just laid down their lives. They have said, I'm in. I don't know what this Jesus thing fully is about, but sign me up. And this new church, and he calls them in Ephesians 1.1, calls them holy to the holy people in Ephesus. And so he, Paul uses this word to talk about presence or, or talk about the relationship with Jesus. He uses the word in Christ. And if you go through the New Testament or you just do a quick Google search or use a Bible, whatever, something app or, or website, you'll see that about 160 plus times the word or the phrase in Christ occurs. And one of the largest concentrations of that is in this book of Ephesians. And I think it's because Paul is trying to help us understand that the, and he writes it in the first three chapters, is all about our identity. And then the four, chapters four, five, and six are all about our behavior, our doing. And so a lot of times, if you've maybe grown up in the church, or maybe you just want to quickly, you Google something, you find like, hey, where do I go? You're tempted to go to chapters four, five, and six, because it's all about the actions. It's like, hey, get me to the good stuff here. Like, I don't want to do all the plot development. I don't need the epic backstory. Just get me to what do I do, okay? But Paul is really intentional to flip-flop that and lay this, not even just a theological foundation, but a really key, what does it mean to live this holy life practically? And you got to get chapters one through three first, and then four, five, and six. And so another way to say that is behavior flows from identity. Behavior flows from identity. Go ahead, say, tell your neighbor, hey, behavior flows from identity. We even put it on the screen. Look at that. All right. It's really important instead of flip-flopping those. And so Paul hammers that in throughout the first three chapters over and over and over again because he's trying to say, help you understand the correlations of this, this in Christ is, is synonymous with your heart, giving your whole heart, your whole life. And in the Bible, you guys probably know this already, heart represents their centrality, not just where the blood pumps and all the ventricles and all that stuff, it's your totality of who you are. It's, what, it's your will. It's what you really believe. It's what you really desire. It's what you really hunger for. So you can fake all these things with your actions, but inside if you're like, this is lame, this is boring, this is stupid, that's in your heart. That's what you really think. That's what you really believe at the core of who you are. So you see that throughout Scripture, heart is this central thing that it's really about what do you love? What do you desire? And then out of that, that love informs your knowledge. It informs your mind. It informs your behavior. And so Paul hits this pretty hard. So Ephesians chapter 4, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through this here and hope it makes sense. All right? Ephesians 4 just says this, 4 verse 1. Therefore, which you guys all know what that means, in light of everything else he said to this this part, first three chapters. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. So Paul literally is a prisoner, but he's also using this phrase very intentionally uh, to talk about 
He is, if we're using, he's distinguished. He's fully God. He's sanctified. He's, I am all yours, Jesus. I am a prisoner. Use me however you want. He completely belongs to Jesus. And then he says, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. Now, I don't know if anyone's bold enough in a room. It's a pretty small group, but a good-sized group. If anyone's brave enough to say, or do you have a nickname? Would you shout it out? Like Jeannie mentioned, mine is Rhino. A lot of people call me that. Uh, My wife, if you see her when she comes Friday, don't call her Mrs. Rhino because she may not like that, and then it's going to be weird, okay? So don't call her. But mine is Rhino. But anybody have a nickname they want to share? Kyle. Your nickname is Kyle? Okay. <laughs> Look at that. Well, backstories later. What else? Other nicknames? Bean. Okay. Other nicknames? Sass. Egg McMuffin. I'm getting hungry. I don't know. Is that what you said? I don't know. Well, names are a funny thing, and there's actually a whole field of study. I don't know if it's reached Asbury yet, but it's called nominative determinism. That is a tongue twister. Nominative determinism. And it's the study of names. Literally, name-driven outcomes. So Professor Adam Alter at NYU discovered that there is something to the power of names. So what you're called, these people, they have very interesting last names and their field of study. See if you can catch on here, okay? So here's a couple of examples of how nominative determinism, boy, that is tough to say, how it plays out. All right. So Dr. Richard Payne is known for his expertise in the field of pain relief. Prince Fielder, former baseball player. Are you picking up where I'm going here? Okay. Derek Kickoff is an NFL kicker. Dr. Lee Popwell is a chiropractor. Daniel Snowman. Weatherman's a good guess. A trick question. He's written books on, the, on, on, on Antarctica. Usain Bolt, one time fastest man on the planet. He was a runner, Bolt, Lightning, get it? All right. Dr. Overy, gynecologist, too easy. And of course, Randall Toothacre is a cardiologist. So, no, dentist, you got it right. <laughs> You get the idea how nominative determinism works. Now, I'm not into determinism, but the point I'm making here is the name or names that people call you or say to you or you believe about yourself can shape you pretty significantly. And I don't know how I have worked out growing up or even now. Maybe you had a teacher or a coach or a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa or a friend, and maybe they were like super encouraging to you. Maybe they were like, man, you're the smart one. You're the athletic one. You're the good-looking one. You're the tall one. You're the gifted one. You're the chosen one. I don't know, but they were like always like building you up, right? Or maybe you had a different story. Maybe you had a coach or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or someone else in your life and they weren't as kind. Maybe they said things like, why can't you be more like your sister or your brother? You're the dumb one. You're the ugly one. You're the not gifted one. What people call you and say to you has a very powerful impact on our lives. There's actually a principle. It's called the early and often principle. 
It's what people said to you early and often is what you start to believe about yourself. And so whether it's something maybe you play over and over in your head, or maybe someone said it to you, it can become your identity. But here's how I'm going to define identity. See, identity is defined as the truest thing about you. Now, the funny thing about that statement is that the truest thing about you may not be actually true because you may believe it to be true even though it's not true. Is that true? You following me? So you could believe a name or something that someone said to you, but it may not be true, but you believe it's true, so therefore it starts feeling like it's true and starts shaping who you are. And so our enemy, the devil, has this way of, of shouting lies that you're not good enough. You're, you're, you are the dumb one. You are not the good-looking one. You're not as good as your brother or your sister. You're not going to be able to, to get that job or that career or get that spot. You're, you're never going to be enough. And he shouts all these lies, but you know what God does? He whispers. He whispers truth. The devil shouts lies, but God whispers truth. And he says... Ephesians is great. Look at, look at what he says about you. Because live a life worthy of your calling literally is live a life worthy of who God has called you. So the enemy fills our mind with these lies, but he says, I have to remind you of the truth of who you are, that you're chosen, you're adopted, you're holy and blameless, you're loved and redeemed. You're faithful and forgiven. You're made alive in me. You have a purpose. You're my masterpiece. In Christ, that's who you are. You are becoming holy. You're becoming more and more like Jesus, and now you're in his family. And you start taking on the family identity, the attributes the look. When you know whose you are, you know how to live. Not because you have to do all these things, because, man, that's just, you're part of the family. I lived in Johnson here, and when I was in, in Johnson Residence Hall, there was a certain thing that because you were in Johnson, you just learned to do. Most of them I can't repeat out loud, because I think this is being recorded, and my mom may be listening. But I mean, there was a certain things that happened that needed to stay in the dorm. But I knew that because that was part of my identity. And similarly, as we are in Christ, there's this, we start to learn who we need to become. And so Paul keeps going on in verse 2 and 3. He says, so okay, this is who you are in Christ. God calls you. This is how you need to treat people. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So God's Holy Spirit, His presence is at work in you. This holy life is it's being lived out. Not because you have to, because it flows out of your heart. It flows out of your identity rooted in Him. And so you don't just try to be patient. Patience comes out of you. You don't just try to be loving. His holy love is in you, and so it comes out of you. Remember, behavior flows from identity. Go ahead and say it to your neighbor. Behavior flows from identity. Behavior flows from identity. 
And then he says, to each one of you, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave, and he lists some gifts, apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, to equip God's people for the work of service so that the people or the body of Christ may be thoroughly equipped. We have gifts to use. That word grace is tied to the word that we use at Asbury a lot about becoming. The word is charismata for gift. It's grace in action. So you're in God's family. You have gifts. You have talents. You have this heart for him. And he says, hey, that's great. We need to use you in all these ways. You're going to help the family. You're in the family business. I'm calling you the gifted one. I'm calling you to be grace in action. Let my presence, let my Holy Spirit show you how this works. So God has given us a huge responsibility. He says part of that is that you get to you let your inness, your in Christ, lead to your sentness, what you do. And so I'm obviously, maybe not obvious to you, but I'm extremely passionate about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. That's not just for superstar missionaries. We're all called, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, to do that. So he says that's part of the job description. And then Paul keeps going, and he talks about, in verse 13 through 16, how we become mature. It ties maturity to being a Christ follower, to being in this family. Now, when you look at maturity, that can be a tricky word there, but when you look at what it means to mature in Christ-likeness, to grow, to be a follower, it looks like, let me see this awesome graphic that I did here. There it is. is aren't you proud of me? You may be thinking, did your kids draw that? Nope, that was me. I did that all by myself here. <laughs> There's a word picture here when it talks about being a follower of Jesus. The word follower itself naturally implies that I am making progress. I am moving forward. But it's not a straight shot up you know, Mount Everest here. Maturity isn't just a straight climb in Christ-likeness. There's these kind of stair steps. And so if you've ever felt like, man, I am on a highway, like maybe you came down, you laid something here on Monday or last night, you prayed, and then like today, Tuesday hit, and you were like, what happened? You, know, you got a text message or something at home happened or a friend did this or you started like believing this lie again about yourself. And immediately you went from like the top of the circle down to the bottom again. But instead of thinking, oh man, something is awful, instead this is a normal cycle of maturity where then Jesus walks you through whatever that hardship, whatever that, that tough thing is, and then brings you out on the other side. So you learn a lesson, you kind of go in this downward challenge, a struggle, but then I, this is one of the things I love about the, the, the theology of holiness is that it's like through God's power, the same power that raises Jesus from the dead, he gives you strength to overcome, to bring victory. And it's not always that easy. It's not always that linear. But you see it goes through this cycle, and then I've matured a little bit. And then I'm like, okay, and it kind of just keeps going and going. And, and Paul is talking about this is what it means to be mature or mature. I guess that's the proper way to say it in the academy or I guess everywhere else, but I'm not that smart. But he's talking about this is what grace looks like in action. This is what my Holy Spirit looks like. And my grace isn't permission to sin. It's freedom not to. That God can do a work. He can change my heart, my desires, that I don't have to do those things anymore. And then Paul wraps things up here, getting close to the end, 
in verses 20 to 24. It says, this is not the way of life you learn, though. And he starts talking about the old self and the new self. Talks about this is her, who you were before you were in the family, before you were in Christ, and now you've surrendered your life to me. Not just salvation, but you're all in, your whole heart, your whole life. So this is how you now live, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so you look at this list here. Can I see the two lists of old life and new life here? Fantastic. It's pretty easy. Like, who signs up for the old list? Like, anybody going to pick that list? It's like, of course not. That's ridiculous. I'd rather be the new self. But what happens is we end up just trying super hard. We jump back on that treadmill. We pick up all the things again. And we say, and then I get frustrated, I get angry, I get ragey. Is that a word, ragey? I don't know. You get ragey, you get greedy, you get malice. Because the harder I try to do all those things, the more it doesn't work. But then I have to go back to, okay, God, fill me, inform me. Keep changing my heart. Help me keep moving through this. Just keep walking like the great theologian Dory. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. You just keep going. Now, you can look at that screen, and then what happens a lot of times, you see that list, and it just looks like a bunch of things not to do. Here's all the rules, don't do this. And I want to push back lovingly and say to you, remember, identity flows from behavior, and I don't think that's the way it works. Now, I got married uh, almost 20 years ago now, 18 years. I feel super, super old right now when I said that out loud. But when I first got married, here, we got a picture here of my lovely wife, Erica, and she's going to be here Friday, so be nice, okay? I know you will be, but when I first got married, I didn't know, like, I knew there were some things that I agreed to, and you, like, you know, you do the vows, and there's this whole covenant thing, kind of a big deal, pay attention to it when you do it, if you get there, and all that good stuff, but, you know, to love, to cherish, death do us part, you know, some other stuff, blah, 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 I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. There's all these things that you know, and you sign up for, that you you say, for richer, for poorer, for, to love faithfully, to cherish. I knew about all that stuff. But then when I got married, there was a couple of things I didn't know about. Like, I didn't know that if I laid my clothes out, and because she's not here, I'm going to tell you how it really happened. And so um, I would lay my clothes out, like, nicely and neatly on the bed. And then when I would come back from my shower to go get dressed for work, do you know where those clothes were? They weren't there. They were, she, oh, I thought they were dirty. I was like, who folds dirty laundry into perfect little squares? But nope, that's not what you do. Did you also know you don't leave dishes in the sink and go to bed? It's a big no-no. You do not do that. And apparently, you're not supposed to leave the seat up when you go to the bathroom either. I mean, there was like all these things, right? You're supposed to listen to, or I don't know, something like that. I wasn't paying attention. But like, and so... Now, I could easily, like, be married and say, man, there's all these rules that Erica is putting on me, man. Like, I mean, I got rights. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy. Like, no one's going to tell me what to do. But that's not the way, actually, Jesus designed marriage to work. I could see it as a bunch of rules, and I could get bitter. I could get frustrated. She could get bitter. She could get frustrated. Man, we could, we could you know, just, Arr! Or I could say, well, no. Because I love Erica, I love her passionately, she's my wife. Well, yeah, these aren't rules. These are things I do because of, I'm her husband. 
Out of my love for her, then flows what I do. And so when you look at this list, if you go back to that list, those are not things that we just check off. It's as we stay rooted in Jesus, as the Spirit keeps filling us, as we keep walking in the Spirit, these are things that come out of us. You notice a lot of them look like the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul just didn't give us a list of rules and say, good luck! (laughs) Never going to be able to do that. And so I want to end where I started with Ephesians 4.1. That your, your identity flows from your behavior. Look at that verse again. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life worthy of who Jesus says you are. So how do you make sure that you don't believe the lies and instead you believe the truth? Well, I had to bring a crazy prop. Someone said, are you going to use that and run on the treadmill at the same time? Maybe. I don't know. I, haven't, I didn't practice it. I don't think I'm going to break anything. But so my, uh, my son, my oldest son, wants to be uh, either a receiver or a tight end in football. He wants to catch the ball. And so I've got another friend. He's not super close, I won't lie to you, but he is a friend. And he is, was at one point in his life on the practice squad for the 49ers as a wide receiver, Scott Long. Now, despite them playing the Eagles, who, is, who are God's team next week, I'm going to tell this story anyway. But Scott would always tell me, Scott is an incredible athlete. He's an incredible man of God. And I thought we were like pretty close athletically. We're similar builds, similar frames. And then one time we were running together and I was running about as hard as I could. And then he had another gear and he just like took off. And I was like, okay, that's why you're an NFL receiver and I'm a dad. Okay. So, but he gave me some tips on how to receive a football well. Now, this is a very big risk. We're not doing this in the regular waking hours of Hughes here. And if you tell on me, I'll know. Okay? So, I'm going to throw this football to somebody. Now, don't be that guy or girl who, like, as I throw it, knocks it down. Okay? Because then someone's going to get hurt, and then we can't do this again. Okay? You don't ruin it for everybody. There's going to be a policy. There's going to be all the things. Okay? So, we're not going to do it. All right. So, I see Josh hiding back there. And so I'm going to pinpoint this right here. Everybody, get ready. I've actually never seen Josh. Can Josh catch a football? (sighs) Use your feet if you have to, okay? Here we go. Are we ready? Boy, there's a lot of pressure. Is this being videoed, Greg? It is. Oh, great. Okay. All right. I didn't warm up. Did you warm up? Okay. Do you want to stand up and help me out a little bit, or are you just going to sit down? I mean, like... Meet me, like, partially here, 10%, bro. Okay, here we go. Ready? Did so- somebody just gasped. Whoa, I didn't say throw it back. What are you doing? No. We're in Hughes Auditorium. What's wrong with you? No. I could have tripped over the altar. No. Several things happened here, and I don't know if you noticed them. Scott pointed out to me, he said, you know, when you are receiving you become increasingly aware of everything around you. Do you notice immediately happened? I went like this, and everybody around Josh, you know what they did? 
<laughs> and everybody around them, like everybody was like really aware and attentive all of a sudden. But so was Josh, right? Like he was like lasered in. He became, and I became increasingly aware. I heard like gasp. I saw people looking at me. I'm thinking about the video camera. I'm thinking about all this stuff. Like, am I ever going to get invited back? Am I going to hell? Like, oh, I don't know. Like, like all these things are running through my head. But he said, you, first of all, you have to run every single time and expect to receive it. And then two, you have to look around you so you're in a great spot to receive it. And then three, he said, boy, how you position yourself, it will determine not only if you make the catch, but it will determine where you go and how far you go. Now, I know that's an absolutely ridiculous thing, but man, I couldn't help but think about, at least in my life, where is the space where I'm actually taking some time, where's the receiving part of my relationship with Jesus? You know, in a week like this, I don't know about you, but my, my rhythm's a little off. I'm getting up earlier, I'm staying up later, I'm kind of running all the time, seeing people, and so like, man, I'm not having the greatest quiet times. So I gotta get back into the rhythm of spending time with Jesus. If I don't have time to receive from him, man, it's not long before I'm starting to believe some lies instead of the truth of who Jesus says that I am. And so my question as we wrap up tonight, the band's going to come, and we're going to have a, a little bit of response time here, is are you creating space to be reminded who you are in Jesus? Are you creating space to receive who He says that you are? Are you positioned? I mean, you may, oh yeah, create space. I mean, I used the Bible app. It took a minute, and then I did like the Divinia for two, and then I prayed real fast, and yeah, okay, so I gave seven minutes. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but does that position you in such a place, in such a way, to really slow down and hear from Jesus? Maybe someday that's fine, but are there ever any spots where you put yourself in a posture, where in, a, in a place, in a space where it's like, hey, I need a little bit of extended time here. It's not about the minutes. It's about, did I give myself space to receive and be reminded who I am, to keep my relationship with Him, because I love Him. Not because it's a rule to follow. And that determines, man, how far I'm going to go, how, how, what my walk looks like. And so the band's going to begin to play here a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to put up on the screen here that uh, list of some truths, okay, of who we are in Jesus. In Christ you are. That's what we read earlier. And so you, you got a card when you came in, I hope. It's blank. Hopefully someone didn't write on for you. Like, I think you have this problem. Here you go. You know, that's, that's awkward. But what I want you to do is, on that little three-by-five card, can I steal one of those? I forgot to get one. Thanks. So I want you to pick a side, any side. And on one side, no one's going to see this. It's just between you and Jesus. I want you to write, is there a lie that you're tempted to believe about yourself? Maybe it was a name that someone called you, or maybe it's just something you believe about yourself. And then on the other side, I want you to, you don't have to pick necessarily one of these, but just to give you kind of a running start, replace it with a truth about who you are in Jesus. 
And if there's something else the Holy Spirit is saying to you, you can write it on that side too. But then you're going to tear it. And you're going to keep the truth part, who you are in Jesus, with you. And I want to invite you to come and lay down the lie part up here at the altar. And just to share with you, it's not like I had this all figured out. Yeah, I'm growing, I'm maturing, and man, I, I'm, I'm so thankful I'm, I'm, I'm not who I was, you know, at 17 and at 27, and I keep going, but there's still things I'm tempted, the lie I'm tempted to believe is I have to do it all. Hey, I got to use all my gifts, and it all depends on me to be a good husband, a good dad, a good employee, a good student. I feel insecure all the time. I'm not the smartest guy in the classroom. I don't know what to do in this situation. Am I being a good enough husband or dad or speaker? Are people going to like me? All those things run through me. They're temptation of lies to believe. But man, I look at Scripture and I say, what's the truth in Christ? Man, I'm loved. I'm his son. That's enough. I'm not going to give the enemy that kind of power over me. Because he looks at you and he trembles because he sees the potential in this room. How Jesus could use your life to reach others' lives. That's how it works. Jesus works through relationships. And there's people that you can lead to Jesus that I can't because of your story, your giftings. But it doesn't work very well if we, if we live the lies and believe the lies. But instead, we stay rooted in him and we say, I am choosing to believe the truth of who you say I am. Because Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. So he gets to name you. He gets to tell you who you are. He gets to tell me who I am. That's good news. That's freedom. That's life-giving. That's holiness. So I'm going to give you some time. The band's going to sing. Right down the lie on one side. You can pick one of these as your truth in Jesus. Or if there's something else the Holy Spirit's saying to you, put that in your Bible or someplace you'll remember it. But as you feel led, you come forward and do that. And then if you want to sing and worship, you can. If you want to sit and kneel, if you need to come up here and kneel, We'd love to pray with you. Jeannie's here, I'm here, others are here. But let's just, let's create some space to receive, to be reminded who we are in Christ.